Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.com or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here's Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear kinsfolk. This is Pastor Visser from Covenant People's Church and Ministry located in beautiful downtown Brooks, Georgia. Once again, bringing you another in-depth study into the reality of angels. And indeed, I, yours truly, your pastor, has found it necessary, especially in this latter part of the year 2013, to once again stress the importance of angels and prove beyond a reasonable or even a shadow of a doubt that angels are extremely literal, as per the pages of our Bible. And in fact, perhaps amongst Christian identity, there has been no single pastor that has devoted so much time and emphasis on the reality of angels. And, ironically, I have found, especially in this year, that there is even more of a need to stress upon this aspect. Why? Well, because now there are people infiltrating Christian identity, going by our title, even calling themselves dual seed line, who have the audacity to come along and say, well, fallen angels are Negroes. As ridiculous as that sounds, as straightforward as Christian identity has taught since day one, since the times of Christ and even before, that this book deals with and pertains only to one race of people, it does not stop the false prophet, no devil bastards, from infiltrating and coming in and pushing forth their universalism. Now, we are to believe that Yahweh God said, come, let us make man in our image. More specifically, let us make Ahadam, or the Adam, in our image. Who is that spoken to, dear kinsfolk? Well... All of Christendom has accepted that that particular statement was made from Yahweh God to his angels in reference to the creation of the Adamite stock, meaning that they would look just like God. God created Adam man in his own image, in the image of him and the Elohim, meaning that the angels, fallen or not, are just as white as every Adamite. But it does not stop these false prophet terror bastards from coming in and saying, well, somehow a pure white angel, when it laid with a pure white Adamite woman, brought forth uh, Mexicans, Negroes. <laughs> As ludicrous as that sounds, dear kinsfolk, if that is what we support, then that is what we will have. So, support those dual seed line Christian identity ministries that bring you the truth. The truth of the Word of God and the truth that has always been put forth. From teachers like Wesley Swift, Bertrand Compare, Richard Butler, take your pick. There are literally hundreds of pastors, all dual seed line Christian identity, who have all been in one spiritual accord. That is, until recently, in the last 10, 15 years or so, we have people coming in who are Baptists saying, hey, I'm dual seed line Christian identity too. We have people who are coming in aligned with Judaism, saying that there's no devil, it's just Yitzhar, it's just your flesh, and they have the audacity not only to claim our Aryan nation's title, but to come out and then attack our very preachers themselves. So, beloved, remember that in 1846, the French poet Charles Baudelaire warned, quote, My dear brothers, never forget, when you hear the progress of enlightenment vaunted, that the devil's best trick is to persuade you that he doesn't exist, end quote. Now, You perhaps have heard this statement before because it's been mirrored and carbon copied in literally hundreds of motion pictures. 
And the single seed liner will come along and say, well, there's hundreds of motion pictures all dealing with the reality of angels and demons. See? Therefore, it's all fiction, is it not? Well, that's how they think. But dear kinsfolk, just because the enemies out of Hollywood, which comprises maybe 5% of the motion picture industry, will come along and pervert the theories and the teachings of the scripture, does not mean that the devil is not real. In fact, this French poet in 1864 had more sense than a majority of our own race does today. When you hear the progress of enlightenment vaunted, he says, meaning that it's an illuminated thought, meaning that those who consider themselves so educated, having such a high IQ, are usually those who come along and say, well, there's no devil. Yet here, Baudelaire is telling you that that is the devil's biggest trick. And the devil's biggest trick, of course, would be not to convince you that he's God, not to convince you that he's a red-suited, pitchfork-wielding deity, but rather to convince you that he doesn't exist. Why? Because then your defenses are down. Scripture straightforwardly says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, not it. Not your flesh, not your own thought or your impure impediment that's found within your spirit. He, the devil, will flee from you if you resist him. Now, how can you resist any deity or demon or even an angel of God that may be fallen if you don't believe they exist? Once the devil comes along and convinces you, hey, this doesn't exist. For example, the devil comes along and he convinces the Antifas that race doesn't exist. It's just a social construct, he says. But does race not exist because a few idiots come along and say it does not? Rather, quite the contrary. Race exists even more. These same Antifas call us what? Racists. So they themselves will even confirm that races do exist. The devil himself, by the very teaching of Scripture, is proven to exist. And only a false prophet can come along and say Jesus Christ was wrong when he said that he beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Only a false prophet or a child of the devil himself will come along and say Satan's not a proper noun. It's not a pronoun. It's not a name. It just means messenger and messenger means non-white. All the angels of God are now muds. Yet that's exactly what they teach and they'll come in and they'll attack dual seed line Christian identists and call them universalists for correctly identifying the players of the book of Revelation. This book, this Bible, even the 1611 King James deals with one race of people. One race, period. And tears, my friend, also wear the same exact uniform as every single Adamite down here. Jesus Christ taught no different. He said tares look like wheat. And the only way you're going to be able to identify those tares that have come in through our camps, through our ranks, is by their fruits, by their works, by what they do. Coming along and saying, well, a tear now all of a sudden is a non-white is ludicrous. Unless you believe that uh, the Adamites happen to be non-white as well. So, sadly, this somber reality of the no-devil belief is more apparent in this godless age, that is 2013, more so than any other. And why? Well, most people don't even believe God exists. So it stands to reason if God doesn't exist, well, neither can Sataniel. And by extension, knowing that Satan, for lack of a better term, is the very left hand of God, they are in essence saying that if there is no devil, well, there's no God. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have the wheat without the tares. You cannot have the righteous without the unrighteous. And from Genesis to Revelation, this book tells you how to put a difference between the clean and the unclean. And the unclean simply aren't Israelites. Therefore, they're blottoed out. And Peter and Enoch and other people do not come along and give prophecies about the Nephilim because they're non-white. Rather, because they are white. And that's why they would give the prophecy to the rest of the Adamite people so they would be on guard. The devil's not fooling anybody if he comes down with red horns and a pitchfork. But the devil can fool a lot if he comes and he's beautiful. The devil can fool even more if he comes and says he does not exist and he manages to get the goyim to believe it. And many of them do. It's just a side effect of saying God doesn't exist. And that's Judaism in a nutshell. 
So when you walk into your average, modern, 501c3 tax-exempt church, quote-unquote, out there, you'll find they say, hey, the devil's not literal, the devil's just your flesh. That's universalism, dear Ken's folk. Why? Because they're Judeo-Christians. And Judaism says there's no devil. Christianity always has. So get that through your head. In order to be dual seed line Christian identity, you have to be able to identify the children of God and the children of the devil. Just as Jesus Christ said. Now these sad, miserable failures will come in and say, there's no devil. Therefore, by extension, he has no children. And if he does have children, what do they do? They spiritualize it. They say anybody who uh, believes in liberalism, he's a child of the devil. Is that any different than spiritualizing who Israel is? Israel in the word of God is most assuredly not spiritualized. Specific. Dealing with a specific race and as such, so do the children of the devil. Esau, Edom. Those who will be cast out at that great white throne judgment. The reason they come along and protect their father, the devil, is because they want you to believe that the devil does not exist. Why? Because if you believe it, their work is done. There's nothing else they need to prove. They don't have to teach you to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. They don't have to teach you to abstain from all appearance of evil. Why? Because you don't believe in evil. You don't believe in the devil already. And somehow or another, just like every Antifa bastard out there, they think because they don't believe in God, they don't believe in the Anglo-Israel message, somehow that makes them safe in judgment. You can walk around like a lemming. You can walk around like an ostrich with your head buried in the sand saying, don't burden me with facts all you want. But it will not make the truth and the reality of scriptures any less effectual for you in judgment. But that's what they believe, like little children who cover their eyes thinking they won't be caught, they can't be seen. So also do the devil's children say, there's no devil. It's just your flesh. Well, if your flesh is the devil, dear kinsfolk, what's the war over? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Right. Exactly. Anybody familiar with the Word of God would know that these single seed liner tears like Mark Downey, Bill Fink, Dave Barley, Ted Wyland, or whoever it is who wants to come in and tell you that your race is so great, your race is so important, but yet the devil doesn't have a race should be earmarked for destruction. They should be silenced. And they'll be the first ones to come along and say, you don't behave very Christian, when in reality, a Christian would kill a false prophet. But that's a study for another day. Hitchcock's Bible names list the name of Satan as, pay close attention, quote, contrary, adversary, enemy, and or accuser, end quote, proving that he is the exact contrast to Yahshua Messiah, who is both the truth, as per John chapter 14, verse 6, and the very word of God itself, as per Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. Simply put, contrary means opposite. And this is where many people fail, because they tend to think that Antichrist means opposed to. When in reality, anti means instead of. Meaning that this great man of sin who will come, the leader of all antichrists, in essence, that King Mamzer or Lord Bastard over every single one, will come along and he'll say, I'm Jesus. Jesus loves everybody. Love is the key. All you need is love. You don't want to be bigoted. You don't want to be considered as racist. And a majority of the world will be confused and misled by that. Why? Because, well, that's what they're already teaching in the land today. Jesus loves everybody, they say. It's not found in the Bible. Jesus will forgive any sin, they say, although it's not found within the Bible. In fact, the Bible says there's unpardonable sins. Jesus Christ taught it. Whatever it is, they are the exact opposite of C.I. And many of these people exist and go by our title. For example, consider Rabbi Samuelson, who does everything contrary to historical C.I., everything contrary to the Word of God, and has the audacity to call himself our title. They exist. And there's always one or two dolts out there who will say, hey, yeah, that sounds really good. Let's go kill. Let's go murder. Yeah, remember Al Turner, you dumbass? 
Because anybody in white nationalism, and CI especially, who is preaching civil unrest, go kill, go murder, is suspect coming out the gate. I can't say that, dear kinsfolk, without going directly to jail. How can they? Think about it. But it was Jesus Christ who dealt with angels. And today's particular study is going to center around Jesus' teaching on angels. Because a lot of these false prophets will come and say, Jesus never said there were angels. Jesus never said there was a devil. And you, dear listener, need to be able to be equipped to deal with such bastards. Jesus' own dealing with angels and casting out demons are numerous. And his biblical trials in the wilderness are extremely literal. Pay close attention to me. All four Gospels point out that the devil is literal. They use terms like, he will flee from you. They use terms like, he said, if you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. They never say it. They never dehumanize, quote-unquote, the devil down to the mere level of flesh. Why? Once again, we don't wrestle against flesh. Flesh isn't your enemy. You live in the flesh. And if you're a righteous person, guess what? You have righteous flesh. That's just simply how it goes. The body will follow the spirit time and time again. And if you walk around saying, I'm sick and tired, don't be surprised if what you believed mentally becomes essentially your physical being. Meaning that you will physically become sick if you allow yourself mentally to become so. Consider that Paul teaches about spiritual warfare in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 through 26. And I'm going to read you from the literal translation. So, this literally will drive home the point. Quote, A slave of the Lord ought not to quarrel, but to be gentle towards all apt to teach, forbearing, in meekness, teaching those who have opposed, if perhaps God may give them a repentance for a full knowledge of the truth. And they, having regained senses out of the snare of the devil, being captured by him to do the will of that one. Paul right here is telling Timothy and us by extension that the way of the devil is to come along and convince you just like the poet said that he doesn't exist. And that a true prophet, a true teacher will come along and give you a quote-unquote what? Full knowledge of the truth. And when you have that full knowledge of the truth, you will regain the senses that you did not have when you were under the wiles of the devil. What's a sense? But belief, hearing, seeing, Touching, feeling. Those are senses, dear kinsfolk, and even children should be able to see that there is a literal adversary out there. Meaning, Paul's saying that when you are brought back from the stairs of the devil, from his slavery, because again, Jesus Christ said you can either be a slave to the world or a slave to mammon, or a slave to Yahweh God, or a slave to the Word. In the King James, it renders it as servant. But it's the same word, meaning you are either a slave to one or the other. The enlightened man, quote-unquote, will come along and say, Hey, I'm not in bondage to anybody. Never have been. Just like those Jews in John 8, 44. They do it today. They say, Hey, we're not in bondage to anybody. I have my flesh under subjection, yet my flesh just so happens to be the devil. How can you resist your own flesh when you dwell within it? You can resist the devil. But you cannot resist the desire to eat or starve to death. You cannot resist the desire to breathe or die. Common sense should tell you the devil is extremely literal. Also consider, dear listener, that this means that those under the guidance of the Holy Spirit will be patient when teaching those who are not. Because without that same spirit, the unlearned are in the quote-unquote snare of the devil. And not only that, they, quote, do the will of that one, end quote, meaning Satan. One is personified. In fact, it's capitalized, just like wicked one. Just like Satan, the proper name. And as I've proven in the past in my popular 2007 sermon, Judaism Has No Devil, a majority of those who deny a literal adversary are Judeo-Christians because this false doctrine helps protect the enemies of Christ while enabling the Jews or God's chosen fable. 
Make no mistake, dear friends, there are numerous imposters within CI today pushing this anti-Christian rhetoric, and many have been deceived by their ramblings. Always confirm the pastors you listen to with the Scripture. If they depend on dismissal of Scripture or private interpretation to defend their positions, then they should be marked and openly rebuked for their transgressions against God. That is the Christian mindset, dearkins folk. And while they say, you're not treating me very Christian, a real Christian would drag a false prophet out and stone him to death. A real Christian would take an adulterer out and put her to death. A real Christian is not going to allow someone to come along and say, God has said when it's not confirmed within the Word of God. And I invite you to do this to me, Obadiah, Pastor Eli, Pastor Wickstrom, or whosoever you choose to listen to. Make sure whatever they say is confirmed within the Word of God because a majority of these bastards will come along and flippantly say, hey, Nephiliums are Mexicans. Where's that in Scripture? Where's that in the last 3,000 years of history? Nowhere. But they say it so flippantly and with such conviction that they can mislead well-meaning Adamites. So mark each and every person. If I've told you anything today that's not found within the Word of God, then please email me. Tell me where I'm wrong. But you can't. And that's a majority of people out there. They should be openly rebuked. The Judeo-Christian, and most assuredly, because they know better, the false prophet that exists within CI. We do not need to listen to their malarkey, and it is insulting to what we have put forth. As I said time and time again, dear kinsfolk, this next decade is ours. People who were laughing at me 20 years ago aren't laughing now. In fact, people who are my father's age are coming around saying, dang, you're right. They didn't say that 15, 20 years ago, but the world has slipped so far into apostasy, it's suddenly not so funny anymore. Is it? The next 10 years, your example and what you teach is going to matter more so than anything else you do. And if you're not teaching something that could be substantiated within the Word of God, then you are giving the Antifas, the ADL, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and everybody else the fuel to come along and say you're a cult. Say that you believe in stuff that's not even in the Bible. Back up every belief you have within the Word of God, and if it is non-scriptural, it is simply that, non-scriptural. Where in the Bible does it say that non-whites are Nephilim? Where in the Bible does it even mention non-whites except subdue them from your lands, push them out, and don't allow them under your covenant? They don't exist. And if they do exist, they're tares that are meant to be destroyed, and they're white. Tares look like wheat. Don't miss that point. This book doesn't deal with anybody except for the Adamite, quote-unquote, Israelites, and the imposters who pretend to be as such. Satan is nothing more than a wannabe Jesus, and the Jew is nothing more than a wannabe Israelite. Understand that. They're not exact opposites. There's one that's real, there's one that's false, but they both claim to be real. They both claim to be legit. And the only judge or standard of measure you have is this word of God, to not be deceived. So don't allow them to do that, dear kinsfolk. To put it bluntly, those who are not under the guidance of the Holy Spirit are instead under the spiritual dictatorship of the quote-unquote prince of this world. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is this term, prince of this world? Well, we know Jesus Christ said Satan is the prince of this world. Did he say your flesh? Is the prince of this world? Can your flesh, your flesh, listener, not flesh in general, be the prince of this world? Your flesh is probably no more than 70 years old. But be that as it may, it does not stop the false prophets from coming along saying, well, the devil's just your flesh. Nowhere in scripture does it say it. But there are literally hundreds of places that say the devil is extremely literal. The prince of this world is dealt with in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 31, by Yahshua Messiah. Also, John chapter 14, verse 30, John chapter 16, verse 11, and found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 2. Simply put, the prince of the world is Lucifer. And they'll come along and say, well, that's just the king of Babylon. Well, then... Who do you think the king of confusion is? God's not the author of confusion. Babylon means confusion. Jim must be a man, right? Couldn't be the devil who's the exact opposite of that. The exact contrast. What does Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 say? 
Let's take a quick look. Let's detour over there. Because I really want to drive home this point. I know most of my listeners aren't fooled by this uh, malarkey that has infiltrated Christian identity. But for future listeners and their sake, I want you to take home today the reality that the devil, angels, and God, by extension, are all very literal. Beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. You hath he quickened. Who? Israelite. You. Not the whole world. You has he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. What is that? Well, continue on. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Meaning, you are either under the covenant of Yahweh God, chosen, accepted and righteous in his eyes, or you are under the direct dictatorship of the devil. And if you are under the direct dictatorship of the devil, chances are pretty good you're going to be saying the devil's not real. If you are not under the direct dictatorship of the devil, meaning that you have Yahweh God anointed shroud over you, that you are protected and called according to his service, then you're not going to be found saying the devil's not literal. Why is the enemy? Who in the hell do you think we're warring against down here? Your flesh? Paul says bring your flesh under subjection. That's easy. You feel lust? Then stop lusting. That's simple. But the tempter will come along and he will tempt you through your flesh. The tempter is not the flesh itself because the flesh is inanimate. The flesh doesn't have a spirit. The flesh is merely a vessel that holds who you are until that great white throne judgment. But more so, this is one such reason that following God's law is so important. The Holy Spirit cannot dwell within an unclean person. Stopping right there. Just listen to me for a moment. This is why Yahweh God says to put a difference between the clean and the unclean. This is why Yahweh God says, Whoso turneth his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Why? Because the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in an unclean vessel. And an unclean vessel is made unclean, meaning your body, through sin. That is how we debase and defile ourselves. Meaning the Holy Spirit will not be imparted unto you, will not dwell within you. If all you're looking at is the flesh, then you miss the devil already. And it is because of this reason that the Holy Spirit cannot dwell within an unclean person that the devil comes along and says, hey, I'm not real. Why? So you'll sin. Sins separate us from Yahweh and the truth. Nothing else. Not your flesh. Not you waking up one morning saying, gee, I'm a little tired this morning. I'm a little hungry. Is that sinful? No. But not resisting the devil who is literal is. And many people will do as such. So, just like that poet, Baudelaire, said and stated, Satan would love nothing more than for genuine Christians, which is us, the Anglo-Saxon, white, Scandinavian, Germanic kindred people, to believe that he does not exist, to deny his existence, likely because it is the first step in denying Yahweh himself. Listen to me, I'm not saying the devil is God. Yet, Satan himself is a part of God. But God is love. God is all of these things. Jealousy, anger, and everything else. But if the devil can get you to believe that he doesn't exist, then logically the word is erroneous. So it doesn't exist either. Why hearken unto that? And also, then God doesn't exist by extension. Why? Because God's found within his word, not your heart. Not what you believe. Not when you bury your head in the sand and say, I don't believe in the devil. Suddenly that becomes reality for you. Truth is fixed. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. John seventeen seventeen says, Thy word is truth. That word will not change. And that word says the devil is real. Here's just one such place. Pay close attention. Jesus warns us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 10. Quote, Take heed that she despise not one of these little ones. Referencing children. For I say unto you, that in heaven... Their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Oh, in heaven. That's the context. So much for this belief that angel just means messenger and it's a false prophet like Mark Downey come to bring you good tidings, right? Because the context is heaven. In heaven. 
in the very throne and or abode of God. Heaven is wherever Yahweh God dwells. Heaven can be on earth if Yahweh God is here. And in heaven, what? Their angels, their guardian angels is what Jesus Christ is saying. The angels that guard these children do always behold the face of my Father. Who's that? Yahweh God. And He's in heaven. He confirms the concept of guardian angels that continually protect Yahweh God's faithful children. Jesus Christ further adds, quote, In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are as the angels of God in heaven. End quote. Of course, that's found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, verse 30. And this validates that cherubim are not simple earthly men, but part of his heavenly host created in the very beginning. Go figure. Just like the Bible says. They're not men. They were created, the morning stars, right there in the book of Genesis. Let's read it for a moment. So I can drive home the point no one can accuse me of saying things that aren't found within the Word of God, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. That's only 14 verses within the very beginning of the Bible. What's it say? God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Okay, so God creates the light. Next verse, verse 16. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Period. Now what do you think he's referencing there? The morning stars, the angels of God? Because that's exactly what's being said there. And perhaps that's another study for another day. But why the emphasis on two lights? Why the differentiation between the sun and the moon and the light and darkness? Because the devil is darkness. And Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And if you have the light of God within you, don't hide it. It's only you shining your light on the deeds of darkness that will bring them to light so they can be judged. When good men do nothing, wickedness increases. And I'm telling you right now, dear kinsfolk, if this ministry isn't supported the way it should be, with a 100,000 listeners a month who don't even send a tithe, you're going to find yourself left with nothing but a bunch of false prophets who are telling you niggers are nephilim, the angels of God are wetbacks, that God loves every single race, and everybody in CI is a mamzer. That's what you'll be left with. Why? Because they're egotists. They do this to make a name for themselves. Not because it's written upon their heart. Not because they even have anything to lose like I do. Five children, a beautiful wife. What do they have? They live in their mother's basement. They want to be seen as YouTube stars. They want to be seen as something great. They want to be seen as reverenced. Where a true prophet doesn't care. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts. You can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404 404- 906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. A true prophet doesn't care anyway. That's exactly what Jonah was. He could have given two flips about the Israelites in Nineveh. He didn't care. But the truth is the truth, and it cannot be backslid from. If you believe this word of God is truth, if you believe the white Anglo-Saxons happen to be the Israel of the Scripture, then every move you make will be defined by meekness, by love, not by ego. Not by trying to prove you're right. Not by trying to prove you have the better argument. And most assuredly, not by blocking people out who will question you based on your faulty premise of saying the Nephilim are Mexicans.
ridiculous, yet it exists. And a word to the wise should be sufficient. It does exist within the land today. Support those who teach the truth, because if you don't, all that will be left are those who want to be seen as something great, the self-appointed, the self-anointed. Not the prophets that Yahweh God raises up according to His own heart. What is God's heart? Love. Period. What did Jesus Christ come to teach people? What was the greatest work you could do to lay down your life for your neighbor and or race? To feed the hungry? To clothe the naked? It had nothing to do with you being an Israelite. Jesus Christ straightforwardly said, God could raise up stones to Abraham's seed. And that's exactly what happens every time these people say, I'm an Israelite. I'm not going to listen to so-and-so. He's a Jew. Condemning him to hell. Attacking their own straw men arguments. Their own red herrings that they throw out. It's ridiculous, but it does exist. Understand it. C.I. is truth. More than C.I. being truth, the Word of God is truth. And if the Word of God is truth, then there's going to be a million and one antichrists out there like Don Black, Alex Linder, Rabbi Samuelson, who do everything they can do to defile the true message. Now, these people are child molesters. These people are criminals and coke dealers. What does it say for the idiots who would quote such debase Filthy people in the eyes of God. It makes them less than them. If a chalma was a child molester in the eyes of God and already spiritually dead and condemned to hell, which is why they're condemned to be stoned as per the law, then anyone who quotes them is tenfold more a son of hell than they are. That's what the scripture teaches. And don't mistake that very simple concept. You can come along and quote Linder all you want. But it will not save you in that day of judgment. So it was Jesus Christ who said, In the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Now let's digress here for a minute. What is marriage scripturally? Sex. Go figure. That's exactly what scripture says from Genesis to Revelation. So, how then did fallen angels not marry when they took from the daughters of Adam? In Genesis 6. Interbred with them and brought the Nephilim in. Of course, the false prophet will come along and say, well, that's not in heaven, right? As if heaven's somewhere out there. Yet it was Jesus Christ who said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yahweh God's down here on earth, and the earth and the fullness thereof belong to Him. The earth is His footstool. Then guess what? Heaven's right here. Heaven's not some place out there. But that's exactly what they want you to believe. I'll fly away, says the Judeo-Christian. And that's exactly what they believe. They're going to be raptured away by a cowardly God who can't stand against the devil. In fact, the whole rapture doctrine centers around this belief. They come along and they say, well, God's going to pull his faithful remnant up and he's going to leave the entire earth as a reward for the devil's children, for the unrighteous. And we're just going to live in heaven and they're just going to live in on earth. Is that what the scripture says? Is that even what Jesus Christ taught? It has no semblance to what's written within the Word of God. So, cherubim are not simply earthly men, but they are part of His heavenly host that Yahweh God created all the way back in the very beginning. Supernatural beings called angels were present during Jesus' temptations by Satan. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, and Mark chapter 1, verse 13, and we're going to look at some of those today. They were also nearby during the crucifixion. For example, as Yahshua Messiah hung from the cross, quote, there appeared an angel unto Christ from heaven, strengthening him, end quote. That's as per the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 43. That's just a mere man? <laughs> no, absolutely not. This is certainly something that a man cannot do. Mere men cannot fortify God. Rather, his children are reinforced by his teachings and the written word. We have no ability to upbraid Yahweh God. We have no ability to strengthen Jesus Christ upon the cross. Neither would a pastor and or a quote-unquote mere simple messenger. But an angel of God would. Why? Because they do miraculous work. Hell, they rain fire upon the cities of Sodom, Gomorrah, and round about. That's a miraculous work. Can a man do that? But yet I have to go now in the year 2013 and teach children, like grammar school kids, hey, you know the devil's real? 
Little children know the devil's real, and perhaps this is the reason why Jesus Christ said, except ye repent and become as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom. You can't enter into the kingdom when you think you know it all. You can't enter into the kingdom when you're defiant to your Father who's given you a word of God that tells you how to resist the devil. So does it not stand to reason that those goats on the left hand of Jesus Christ were also those who said, hey, we're Israelites too. We're Christian identity. We did miraculous works in your name. And Jesus Christ says, depart from me, I never knew you. How can you know Jesus Christ unless you know the word? We already covered it today. Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, straightforwardly says Jesus Christ is that word. He confirmed it when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right. You don't know God outside of his word. And while a million and one people will tell you, hey, I had breakfast with God and he gave me a message that's not found within the Bible, meaning they're cults, that's how you know the genuine from the fake. Can you confirm it in the word of God? If you can, then it is scriptural. Then it is dogma. Then it is doctrine. So, let's just go down the list. Can you find anywhere in Scripture where it says the Jews are God's chosen? Nope. Not one. Can you find anywhere in Scripture where it says that we're going to be raptured away? Nope. Not once. In fact, that word doesn't appear in Scripture anywhere in any way, shape, or form. Can you find one place in Scripture where it says Mary Magdalene was a whore and Jesus Christ was porking her? No. Can you find anywhere in Scripture where it says Jesus Christ loves everybody indiscriminately and everybody's going to get into heaven if you just live a generally good life? No. Yet these are fundamental teachings that the Judeo-Christians center their whole belief system around. They'll cast you out of their company for being quote-unquote racist, but they'll tolerate the homosexuals, the adulterers, and those who are apostate and filthy in the eyes of God. Why? Because they're Jews. They're Judeo-Christians, for lack of a better term, but they will tolerate anything that Yahweh God hates and condemn the righteous saints. No different than the story of Jesus Christ. Christ came unto His own and they spit in His face. They denied Him. They crucified Him. And when it's all said and done, your walk, if you choose to be a Christian identity pastor, will be no different. And perhaps this is where I should digress and state that. You know, to actually be a Christian identity pastor in Obadiah 118 is going to find this out pretty soon. There's a lot of hardships that come with it. Because essentially you're hated and despised of a majority of your own race, as was Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Christ in any way, shape, or form. But his pastors who bring this truth, who make men accountable, even Judeo-Christians and people who fancy themselves to be some type of faithful, will despise you for making them accountable. Now, the end result, the ultimate payoff is great. You'll be accepted within the kingdom. You'll be told, enter in my faithful servant and all of those things. But your walk down here on earth will not be a great one. You will be hated, you will be despised, you will be slandered, you will be defamed, you will have the cops, the feds, the ADL, the Southern Poverty Law Center come knocking at your door wondering why you're preaching the Word of God as if you are a threat. And guess what? You are. When the feds come to me, I remind them of that. You know, we have a Muslim president, we've been at war for the last ten years, and suddenly you're here in Brooks worried about a Christian pastor. That should tell you something, dear Ken's folks, shouldn't it? That we are a threat. And they know it. Why? Because none of this crap man invents. Nuclear bombs, atomic bombs. None of these vices that they inflict upon our people, these addictions, these drugs, the pharmacia, from whatever angle it is, will stand. But God can. And with one word, he can destroy every rudiment, every single thing that offends. And guess who offends Yahweh God? Those who turn their ear from hearing his word. And whether that word is found within the word of God in your own private study and you're reading it or you hear it from another pastor who quotes it verbatim is beside the point. Truth is truth. Man can come along and say, God so loved the world he sent his only begotten that whosoever believeth in him would not perish. But the word still says should. Many who believe upon him shouldn't perish. And I'll agree with that. They shouldn't perish. Why? They believe. But they will. By changing that one letter, and I've pointed it out in this very series, the devil can change the entire meaning of the scripture. So also do his children do the same exact thing. They'll lie to do so. They'll come and say Satan's not a proper noun. It's a pronoun. Same thing. But they'll say it like it means something different. 
They'll come along and they'll say, angel doesn't mean messenger, it just means a human being. Nowhere is angel defined as human being. In fact, the works attributed to angels cannot be human beings. But they do the same exact thing. There appeared an angel unto Christ from heaven, strengthening him. This is something a man cannot do. It's plainly a trait of the snake to reverse the divine order empowering man over Yahweh. Pay close attention and consider that one of the prophecies Sataniel tried to twist during his own feeble temptations of Christ was, quote, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. End quote. Hmm. Now the devil knew there were angels. Why? Because he was one. He was an archangel, for lack of a better term, and Scripture confirms that. And try as they will, the single seed liners cannot get around archangelos in the Greek. They can come along and say, well, angelos just means messenger, right? But what about archangelos, which is defined as the angels of God? The highest rank, the holy order of cherubim. They can't. So they'll draw your attention from that. Or they'll go to the Hebrew and say, see, to lie with doesn't mean expatio. It doesn't mean to lie with. So the devil didn't lie with Eve. Yet expatio is Greek. Go figure. And of course, this very prophecy is found in its original form in Psalm 91.11. And it's found within our Gospels where the devil is twisting it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 6 and Luke chapter 4, verse 10. So go look, compare what the devil twisted, what word he left out and what he didn't. But even the devil here is saying, He who God, Yahweh, will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, Jesus Christ, in all thy, Jesus Christ's ways. What man can keep God? What man can box him? What man can come along and say, Hey, you know what? God's going to do what I say today. It doesn't work that way. Yet it does not stop the false prophets. Why? Well, consider this. It's outright blasphemy to suggest that regular men or pastors have charge, quote-unquote, or authority over the Messiah instead of vice versa. But this does little to stop the mouths of those who pervert the gospel. Jesus' own answer to Satan is, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Stopping right there, Jesus Christ had no qualms about telling Satan he was God. That's what he rebuked him with. Don't tempt the Lord your God. He didn't say, don't tempt me. Don't tempt Jesus Christ. He said, don't tempt the Lord your God. And also, by extension, God cannot be tempted by evil. Remember that. James chapter 1, verse 13. The same exact chapter these no devils quote to try and prove there's no devil. Says God cannot be tempted of evil. Jesus Christ was God. That's why he overcame. Does that somehow mean the devil's not literal? Because the devil tempted him? Christ wasn't tempted. Christ never submitted. And that was his ultimate charge. Get thee behind me, Satan, period. And he's still there to this day. That's a side study. But he's definitely there behind Jesus Christ to do the will of God when he's called to do it. So don't make that mistake. God cannot be tempted with evil as per James, the very brother of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 13. This pulpit has covered this concept in one of our Halloween sermons titled, Who Maketh His Angels Spirits? And I believe that might have been the third Saw Yen or Sam Hain broadcast put out around 2007. In fact, Whoso Maketh His Angels Spirits was one of the very first times I stepped out from the written word and started preaching freestyle. Now, there's a lot of people out there who write these long treaties and they read them and they're boring as hell and they wonder why they have no listeners. Well, that's probably because I can read your material better than you can. So don't bore me with that. And then on the other token, you have people who come and say, well, he's a demonized holy roller, Pastor Visser is. Why? Because I know how to preach. I know how to engage people in listening and keep them interested in the message. It's not this monotonous crap, the devil's not literal, the devil's not literal, the devil's extremely literal. We've covered that today. And in that sermon, Whoso maketh his angel spirits, please, dear kinsfolk, listen to that broadcast because it provides further proof that angels are supernatural, they are the sons of God, and they are much lower in rank than Jesus Christ. Lower, the angels in rank than Jesus Christ. The angels are definitely higher than man, are they not? So how can a man be an angel? Exactly. They can't. 
So please, listen to this broadcast, and uh, you'll find out that Jesus being made a little lower than the angels has been covered numerous times from this pulpit. And a lot of you may be saying, well, how can that be? How can man be lower than the angels when Jesus Christ was lower than the angels? Well, Jesus Christ was lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering. He was in the flesh. He wasn't fully in the spirit. If Jesus Christ was fully in the spirit, he would have been Yahweh God. No confusion there. But he was made a little lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering. We're in the flesh. We are lower than he is. So that alone, I might add, dear friends, that alone blows through the theory that messenger just means man. It's simply not found within the Word of God. And not a single one of these false prophet tares will debate me. They haven't. And the invitation has been open for over 15 years. Please, Mark Downey, Dave Barley, Bill Fink, come on in. I'd love to talk to you about the reality of Satan. They won't. Rather, they hide themselves on little places like Stormfront Theology or Christogenio Forum, and they'll ban anybody who is a single seed liner. They'll make everyone else feel stupid for not accepting their illuminated ideas that the devil's just your flesh, even though it's dead written, and have the audacity to attack the genuine. So use some discernment, dear kinsfolk. These false prophets exist, and Jesus Christ said, tares look like wheat. Just because someone is white and wears the same uniform you do does not mean they are to be trusted. The Jew is white, in addition to a myriad of other colors, but predominantly the tear is white. The Antichrist is white. The devil's the son of God, not some Mexican. That is how he's able to deceive the entire world. Not by popping up and suddenly everyone says, Hey, you know what? Looky there, the devil's black. Just what I thought all along doesn't work that way. So, dear friends, perhaps too exhausted to cover in this particular sermon, and I'm only covering half of it today, like I did on Serpents and Worms. If you desire to, within the next week or so, you'll be able to hear the second part of this sermon. But too exhaustive to cover today are the numerous statements made by Jesus Christ to the churches in the early chapter of the Revelation of Christ. And I did say Revelation of Christ. The only gospel that's attributed to Jesus Christ as a narrative is the gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning the book of Revelation. It's not John's gospel. It's Jesus' gospel. And Jesus says many things within that. For example, he says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the very first chapter, very first verse, what does he say? Which he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant, John. John was a man. Jesus was God in flesh. A man could not come and signify that this is the truth, to testify, to bear witness. But yet, that's exactly what happened as per Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. A casual reading of these passages will leave no doubt in the mind of the reader that angels are not plain men, but supernatural deity. Jesus is also the Word incarnate. According to this prophetical book, Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, we touched upon that very briefly in today's sermon. Thus, any denial of what's plainly transcribed is an open denial of Christ himself. Let me say that again so it really sinks in. Any denial of what is plainly transcribed, erroneous or not, is a denial of Jesus Christ. For example, you can come along and say, Easter's not really in the Bible. It just means Passover. So you're saying Jesus Christ is wrong? You're saying Christ is imperfect? You're saying that Christ is not able today, in the year 2013, to bring people to Christianity through that word Ishtar, the pagan festival, for them only to find out later that it meant Passover? That's what they do. They limit the Word of God and they point out all these inconsistencies like we're the fools, like we don't know. Like God somehow doesn't have His Word written and transcribed here for the last 400 years exactly how He wants it to be. Well, man's much more powerful than God after all, isn't he? Because he actually tricked God. And now the Word of God doesn't mean what God really wanted it to mean and God's sitting there in heaven silent. Right? Yet that's exactly what they want you to believe. Why? Because it's non-biblical. We've covered part of it today. A major tactic of the Antichrist is to refer to skewed, quote-unquote, biblical proofs that support their own twisted theories. One such verse is found in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, and it reads, quote, God is not a man that he should lie. 
neither the Son of Man, that he should repent. Hath he said, and he shall not do it? Question. Or hath he spoken, and he shall not make it good? Another question, end quote. Sadly, a majority of Christians miss that this was a false prophecy given to us by none other than the bogus prophet Balaam. And we're going to be studying Balaam in depth in the second part to this sermon. Why? Because I really want to give it the full treatment. I want to quote from the Talmud. I want to quote from the words of the Jews themselves. So you'll understand why they believe Jesus Christ to be a form of Balaam. What was Balaam? A false prophet. He was a Mesopotamian soothsayer who would lie according to the biggest bidder. All you'd have to do is come along like Billy Graham today and say, hey, here's $100,000, save the Jews are God's chosen, and he'd do it. And that is why I really want to focus on Balaam in the next and second part to this particular sermon. You might already be familiar with Balaam. He was the liar that Joshua withstood. Quote, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I, Joshua speaking, would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. End quote. That's found in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verses 9 and 10. Interesting of note is that by saying, God is not a man, Balaam locks himself forever into the biblical description of an Antichrist, and Joshua is considered a type of Jesus because his name is Yahshua. It means Yahweh saved, as per Strong's Hebrew, number 3091. Again, remember this, Jesus Christ himself had this to say about Balaam's false prophecies. Quote, I, Jesus speaking, have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, pork, right? And to commit fornication. Oh, it's okay to lay with angels. End quote. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Here it should be noted that the eating of things sacrificed unto idols and committing fornication can both be considered serving other gods. It's a clear violation of the first five commandments found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. And for more information on Balaam, please read Tactics of the Lawless Children. It was recently reissued as Tactics of the Bastards with a little quote from the Jews guy on there, lying and slandering and bearing false witness for his fellow rabbi, Marty Chomo Lindstedt. But these Jews do not change. Their main modus operandi is to skew the word of God and to draw you from the truth of God. How can I say that? Well, that's exactly what the devil did to Jesus Christ. And I'd like to look upon that just briefly before we conclude today because we're actually running out of time. So please, turn over today to the Gospel of Matthew, very first book of the New Testament. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we can begin reading in chapter 4. Right in verse 1, says this, Then Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, remember, by biblical numerics, 40 means probation. So this is a probationary period directly after his baptism in the River Jordan. And one thing I might add right now before continuing on is you will find a majority of these single seed liners that come along and say the devil's not literal will just as adamantly attack the concept of baptism. Jesus Christ was baptized by John in the River Jordan. He was our example. Yet they'll come along and say, baptized doesn't mean to make wound. Doesn't mean to make what? Don't be baptized. You're baptized by fire, by pixie dust. You're baptized by my taint. Whatever it is, you're not baptized by the same method Jesus Christ was. As per their mouths, their lying mouths. Jesus was led of the Spirit. Why? Because he had just been baptized. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Why? Because he was in the flesh. And when the tempter, not a tempter, the tempter, the leader of all tempters, Satan, came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he, who, Jesus Christ, Yahshua Messiah, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
verse 5 of Matthew chapter 4. Then the devil takes him up to the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And a side note of that is he perverted that concept of it. Dashing thy foot against a stone. When you really go back to the Psalms and you look at what was said, the devil once again skewed it. Each time the devil would say it was written, Jesus would correct him and say, no, it is written, really written. And this is what it really says, because every time, including when he appeared to Eve all the way back in the beginning, he would change one word, one letter oftentimes, one jot or tittle, and change the entire meaning of what was said. And that's exactly what he does here. Verse 7, Jesus said unto him, Who? Sataniel, Satan, Lucifer. It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things I will give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Oh, quite funny, is it not? How could the devil afford to give those things if he wasn't exactly what Jesus Christ said, the prince of the world? If he wasn't exactly what the first chapter of Job says, wandering to and fro upon the face of the earth, and God gives them the ability to do it. Yet they want you to believe that this is somehow a man. A man who is bigger, greater, and more powerful in might than Jesus Christ himself, that he could take him to the highest pinnacle of the temple, show him all the kingdoms of the world which he himself possessed, and say, I'll give them all to you if you do me homage. Do you not think for a minute the devil does that today? Do not think for a minute that the devil's there behind every Jewish banker saying, if you do me homage, he'll give you everything you want. You want a Lexus? You want a nice car? It's all superficial bullcrap. It means nothing. You'll never own anything. You'll pay rent your whole life and never even own a deed to a car. Yet you'll be seen in the eyes of man, or Satan man, as something great. Isn't that a majority of people? Yet they look down upon people who do own land. They look down upon farmers who grow the food, who are the very backbone of this country, and they say, look at that. Why? Because they're Jews. And Jews have an aversion to work. And they think those who do work are lesser than them because they push pencils. These traits of the snake still exist today, and they are encapsulated within Judaism completely. The Jew thinks they own the world. And the Jew thinks as long as you bow and kiss their bottom end and send your children to go to wars for them and you sit there and you say, we all bleed red, well, guess what? The devil's going to give you everything you want. Now, don't forget that everything the devil gives you is the antithesis of the Word of God. It's an abomination in his eyes. Yet in today's society, it isn't. You want to be seen as non-racist? Don't listen to me. Don't listen. Don't read the Word of God. Because the book is as racist as it gets. You want to be accepted of the world? Then you can't be a Christian. You can either serve God or mammon, never both. There is no gray area. I'd rather be hated of the world than loved of the Jew. Yet a majority of our own race, our own kinsfolk, are more worried about what society thinks of them than what God thinks of them. Jesus Christ didn't care what the devil thought of them. And the devil in this context represented the entire world. All the rulers of the world. All the kingdoms. And Jesus Christ would say what? Verse 10. And then says Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Verse 11. Then the devil leaves him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. That's the point I want you to understand. The devil left, and other angels came. Once the devil left because the word of God is true, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Three times Jesus Christ resisted the devil during these temptations. And the devil eventually fled. And then came the payoff. The genuine angels, not the fallen ones, came. And what did they do? They ministered unto Jesus Christ. And that, of course, ends the manuscript. But man cannot minister unto Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was the living word. He was God who gave that very word himself. So, word to the wise should be sufficient, and I think we've covered enough today. I really want you to understand that those who come along and say the devil is not literal are not dual seedline Christian identity. They are most assuredly not even Judeo-Christians, rather they are Jews. Why? Because of every religion down here. 
including the Muslims. They believe in the devil. The devil is a Christian concept. No devil is a Jewish concept. And just like Jesus Christ said in John chapter 8, verse 44, in that entire chapter, for sake of brevity, when the devil speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. And his own perceive that lie as the truth. And that is why, oftentimes, no matter how much you preach directly from the Word of God, where Jesus Christ says, I am come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, they won't see it. It doesn't matter how many times you point out the devil's literal, how many times he's personified, capitalized, and he can actually do these great miracles like teleport Jesus Christ to the highest tip of the temple and offer him all the kingdoms of the world. It doesn't matter. They'll come along and they simply cannot see it. And my opinion is the reason they can't see it is because the book's not for them. The book's for you. The book's for me. We are the sons of God, as per Scripture. The rest of the world says there are no sons of God. There are no sons of the devil. But the sons of God? No. They clearly see the things of Yahweh God because they were created of Him, and Paul confirms that. So when we open the book, we read it, it makes sense. Why? Because it's our letter. It's our book. This Bible, in the hands of the non-whites, in the hands of the Jew, is like reading somebody else's mail. It makes no sense to him. It's nothing but gobbledygook. And so, dear kinsfolk, until next time, this is Pastor Visser once again from the beautiful, dirty South that is Brooks, Georgia, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Please join me again next time. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.